Welcome to In The Know, the podcast for those who value the power of knowledge in the dynamic world of financial services. In an industry where the landscape is constantly evolving, having access to information can be the difference between success and stagnation. We bridge that gap by bringing new conversations with leading individuals and influencers who shape the financial world. We will deep dive into the heart of the sector, uncovering insights, trends and strategies that are not readily available to the masses. Because in the competitive world of financial services, being in the know isn't just an advantage, it's a necessity. So welcome everybody to today's In The Know episode, the premium podcast for financial services. Today, I am delighted to be talking to John White, who is the Managing Director of Hurstpoint. So welcome, John. Good to see you today. Um, I've got quite a few topics that I want to go through today, but let's start off quite lightly. And for the people that don't know you, could you just give a bit of background information on yourself and your career to date? Yeah, sure. Um, I always hate this question because I have to confess to the fact that this is my 37th year in the uh, (laughs) financial planning sector or wealth wealth management sector overall. So yeah, so it's been a long, a long career so far. Um, Well, you're looking well, John. Thank you. It's treated you well. I did start as a, (laughs) rather than a paper round, I did this instead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In in a way, that's kind of interesting in in that um, I did start um, for commercial union when I was 19. So I didn't come what everybody would do today, coming through a a degree I did one year of a degree and then then came out and um, my father said well you better go and find yourself a job that comes with some professional qualifications etc and I applied for a, a role called accounts executive for life I hadn't got a clue wow. what it what it would be at the same time as applying for that I was also applying to emigrate to California to be a personal trainer <laughs> which in those days was quite a rare thing yeah. <laughs> because this is like mid-80s. you were ahead of the time yeah. I was ahead of time yeah. at, the, at that point but following uh, following in Arnie's footsteps, but um, <laughs> anyway, uh, as my wife would say, I made the right decision because I joined Commercial Union and, and I met her there as well. So, uh, so I don't say that actually I made the wrong career move and should have gone off to the sun. But, uh, but yeah. So, but I think the the importance of it is it's I think so many people in in our sector fall into working in financial services. It's not a vocation. It's not like becoming a doctor or a, or a dentist. <laughs> that has to be a vocation mm. um you fall into it but i cannot grumble it's been a fantastic career and uh, has done me and the family really well and i've enjoyed every minute of it so far um so that's kind of how i fell into it um broker consultant for commercial union and npi both insurance companies that no longer exist yeah obviously commercial unions in aviva and i was trying to think where npi is and i cannot think of it i think probably australia mutual or something like something. that so somebody will be on there going it's this it's that yeah um then in the early 90s became a, a, a an ifa um and with with all my qualifications got my chartered um qualifications then as well in those days you were chartered through the the cii directly as opposed to anything else but um but yeah, so that's how I so I satisfied my dad in the end of getting the professional qualifications, even though we didn't know what we were going to do. Uh, became a, an IFA, and then basically the careers kind of moved on from there into from being working for small small firms to accountancy practice firms, running financial planning firms of accountancy practices for about twenty years. I make it sound like there was multiples. Technically, it was all one one role, but they got bought and morphed into to different things during that period. 
Um, the final time we sold to Towery at the time, and then uh, I became a consultant for a little while, doing some work for different people, uh, and then went to Gallagher's to, to run their wealth management side and, uh, and to be a chief operating officer, which anybody who knows me so that's quite a weird title for me to have, but typical Americans, you have to have a, a C-suite in your title to be on the top one, and that was the only one that was available. <laughs> that's the, uh, and after Gallagher's, went to Sandlam for four or five years, and then um, two years ago joined Hearst Point. Uh, so I'm a director of Hearst Point. Uh, I'm the MD of Argentis, but no doubt we'll talk about we how will. Hearst Point works and all the rest of it after. But yeah, plenty let's of time let's not that. take somebody else's job off, off, <laughs> on your intro. But so, so no, that that's that's my career from from that viewpoint in, in a very brief snapshot. But it's it's gone from definite practicing IFA um, planner to to running uh, teams of people to running the businesses to acquiring businesses, etc. So probably the full gambit in in quite a lot of different scenarios so you've seen a lot and you've seen a lot of changes yeah over the past 37 yeah. years but no regrets no reg well so occasionally <laughs> <laughs> but no regret on the career choice good. Good, good. <laughs> i want to um i want to jump into um culture uh -huh. if i can because i think it's um it's very topical at the moment in terms of um when you're attracting staff when you're retaining staff yeah. and i think ultimately from your perspective as well when you're trying to perhaps acquire businesses cultures are is a key thing but um in your own sort of way what does culture mean to you yeah it's really difficult because it is kind of the, the the trendy thing of the moment isn't it to to talk about culture um and you're right to say what does it mean to individuals so there is the standard answer isn't there you know we've we've all got ai capabilities now and if you do chat gbt it'll give you a nice kind of yeah. eight different things that culture is you know whether it be collaboration whether it's professional skills whether it's empowering people whatever you know on, on all the kind of remit list that it, it would give you all of which are all very valid and are all kind of the kind of regulatory answer that they want to see in in in, in businesses and and important to our business and every other business from that viewpoint but actually then we're all different at the same time so you know for me what it, what it, what it, when I think about where have I worked that I've been the happiest, where I think I've made the biggest difference from a viewpoint of that cultural piece and everybody being kind of bought into the idea of things, then it has been um, at some, as a producing a financial community. So the community of the advisors, the operations, the team, the management team that you're running, all being bought into what it is that you're trying to do and trying to be. Uh, and you know, that that collaboration of that team to, to for that for the common goal mm -hmm. is absolutely you know vital. Um, and I suppose the number one goal of all that has always got to be if you if you're working in a financial planning business, then surely that's got to be you know for the for the goals and aspirations of the client. And if that is what you're all aiming to, you are going to be in a business that is going to be culturally sound. Uh, is going to be successful and people are going to be happy to work in it. That sounds really easy, doesn't it? it, it, it yeah, it doesn't happen say, very often. Yeah. And I think that <laughs> the, the, the next question really that springs to mind is how do you go about building that, <clears throat> especially currently where you are acquiring businesses mm. which will have their own set of beliefs and, and values, etc. So, it's almost is there a playbook to go and build that culture? 
I don't think anybody's cracked that playbook for that for the for, for the the larger IFA or wealth management via financial services uh, national type of business, whether they're a consolidator or whatever kind of background they've come. I don't think anybody's cracked it because it is difficult. Uh, it is difficult to. Well, let's talk about where it's not. It's not that it's never easy in any organisation, but it's a lot easier if you are um, a two, three, four, five, five-person firm that's come together for common reasons and common goals, and 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 everything is together. You're together every day. You're kind of sharing things every day. As soon as you start to expand into multi offices, multi places, more of a national thing, coming from different DNAs of the past then that's what makes that that quite difficult. So you do have to go to the chat GBT type answer of culture and try mm. and template it and, and, and produce a, a playbook. But And that will get you so far. Yeah. Um, but what you have to try and do is you have to get your immediate management team to be completely aligned on the fact that you're trying to, to, to do it together. So if you can get the 10 people around you sharing your ideals and your goals... And they can then get the ten people that they look after to share the same goals, you know, with, with with in their own individual way. But it doesn't happen overnight, and so many things change in 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 the current market so quickly that there is mm. quite often not time to embed it. Um, and I, th- I think also that's why I think the best cultural businesses for if that's a phrase <laughs> that I've ever worked in have been the accountancy practices because they come from a from a DNA that's that's been there all the time you know they don't they don't they grow and they they can buy a small practice every now and then or take or inherit a small practice but in the main they were set up by some founding fathers or founding founding partners uh, originally, and and that's built up and that's built up and in a DNA fashion. As new people come through and they come through and they come into that training qualification stage, and they come through the ranks and then they become you know associates and seniors or you know and and associate directors, directors, partners mm-hmm. type thing. And so by the time they're getting to those positions and and um, owning the relationship with the client. They've been in that practice for a long, yeah. long time. It's a heritage. It's a heritage yeah. thing. And that is emulatable in uh, financial planning and uh, in what we do, but is is rare. And so I would say that really sticks out for me as a as a example of where it's I've seen it the best. It's not always that you can still get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen teams where they've not felt that that together in in that kind of background but but it's embedded embedded and it, and it grows and it's and it's there it's almost yeah. it's a tangible that yeah. you can see in your management team meetings how prevalent is the discussion around culture because we live in a numbers world yeah so yeah. how do you balance the, the culture with driving performance and driving those behaviors yeah. to ensure that performance comes <laughs> through it must be quite difficult yeah no it is it is difficult um you interviewing one of my team in the next couple of weeks. So I can... <laughs> that way you just said was absolute rubbish. <laughs> He's never done that in his life. I'm always for hire, John. You know that. Um, yeah, no, it, it is difficult, and you kind of have to split out the meetings because if you, I don't know, if you if you're in a if you're in a board meeting, and you've got your shareholder there. It's you know there'll be some reference to 
you know, how does the team feel? How's the mm-hmm. the energy? You know, what's you know, what's our clients feel about this and things like that. But but you're right. In the main, the main focus will be about the commercials. Yeah. Um, and so you you have to do it in the different kind of meetings that you have and the and the sub meetings. So so those, the best conversations happen amongst the management team uh, uh, that are client facing or doing the operation and the servicing. Uh, when um, they're not about the P and L. Uh, okay, uh, you, I, have I, to, I, you have to make the time. But you, you, know, you can't avoid the P and L conversations. They're always going to be there, depending on you know. It's uh, a fact of life. It's a fact of life. Yeah. But you have to make time for the conversations that are are client focused. And it, you know, people say, "Oh, we will. We have a client focused group, or we have um, client committees now." You know, and there's obviously a major change towards how people deal with these things, particularly following consumer duty. Mm. Um, but they need to be genuine, you know. They don't. They need to not just be there to tick a box from what they think the regulators asked them for, because they will have much better businesses and enjoy their roles much better yeah. if they are genuinely talking about the things that will make a difference. I'll, I'll come on to clients later on, and, yeah, yeah. and, and that sort of um, <clears throat> the way that the industry has changed itself um, over the last few years. Um, but the question, I guess, I'm going to ask you now is about leadership. Then, so if you're saying that the way that you've done it is to get those people around the table to get them to believe you know in you and what you stand for and what you're trying to do so in your experience and from what you know what what makes a good leader <laughs> yeah okay um so just because that I, I that's what i was trying to do have i been successful every time no okay uh, and i suppose my um my cheeky answer on what makes a good leader is if you looked at my career, looked at everything that I've done wrong through the years, and you didn't make those mistakes, you'd probably have a successful leader. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I get that. Yeah. But, and, and there's a serious point behind that, that you learn more from your mistakes. I genuinely, I know it's an old adage and people always say it, but it's I true, genuinely though. think you do you learn do. For, for when you get it wrong. Um, and as long as you correct it, then, then you do. Um, so I have genuinely learnt more from uh, people... Who, um, who, who, when they've got it wrong, mm. <laughs> and, and watched that and thought, oh, I, I mustn't make that mistake. Yeah. Uh, than, um, than right, but yeah, I mean, good good leaders are people who, um, can inspire you to make the right decision. Uh, to to in what their aim is, their goal is, to to what they're trying to grow, and if you can buy into that, and it's something that you think is also a good thing, and you want to be part of. Then you will work for that person, and you'll do, you know, the extra, the extra mile, or whatever phrase you want to use, uh, to 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 achieve that with them. Would you um, would you say you are a leader? Would you classify uh, yourself as a leader? Because you mentioned earlier on about having a job title in the U.S. and the people that know you probably wouldn't have thought of you in that job title. So, would you say that you can see yourself as a leader? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I would. The job title was more the operations part of it yeah. than the, the chief part of it. <laughs> the detail. Bit, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, so vision's you know, good. I could yeah. still inspire. I'd like to think uh, yeah. an operation team to actually do the right thing. But could could I go in there and do their job for a day? Probably it's not. not going to fit the right job. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the difference. I, I, absolutely, I would describe myself uh, as as a leader. I think you know, I think people 
in the main, you know, there'll be loads of people on this going, oh, I didn't like him. <laughs> but, but, You'll get the but, comments. But I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there's more that do or yeah. would would say that they enjoyed their time. But you can't please being, everyone. Being, can you? And I think that's the other important part is, you, you know, a leader's got to be um, content that they are going to make decisions that somebody's not going to like. But can you hold your head up and say, I've explained why that decision has been made or I believed in that decision for the right reasons and it wasn't for selfish reasons, it was for the good of the team, the business that you're trying to lead. That's really important and it's really important to me. That's the, the integrity of a leader mm. uh, from that viewpoint. They haven't just selfishly gone and done what they wanted to do for their own benefit. It was yeah. done for the benefit of the business yeah. uh, and, the, and the clients of that business and that doesn't always happen. Uh, so that to me would be a kind of key aspect of, of what a leader should be and be about. And what would you say has been your biggest challenge then? So 37 years. You've seen it. We can edit that bit out of the way. <laughs> so you, you've been in the, the industry a while. Yeah. So what would you say has been the biggest challenge, which has that's it's really pushed you? Uh, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> there, there have been a, a number. Um, and they they differ. Um, you, so they they could be that you're joining a business that um, isn't financially sound at that point, or you you know I've I've worked in a couple of businesses where I've been brought in to uh, to deal with regulatory issues. Um, so they, they they could be, you know, the the old adage of being in the in the the rooms in when they were in Canary Wharf, the the regulator and you get put into the room with no windows, a bit like this studio, actually. <laughs> um, which is a, which is a, an old adage of not 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 being in a great place. But um, so the challenge of fixing businesses, whether it's fixing it because its advice structure is not quite right, or because um, it's financially not not kind of doing what it should be doing, or the the cultural piece is wrong and things like that. They are all challenges and all quite demanding and all take time. So, you know, mm. if you're going on the challenges of regulatory bits, you know, I'd say that actually from start to finish of, of one particular role um, to, to start that, it was 18 months, you know, and it was a retraining of advisors. It was a redoing of processes. It was bringing in consultants. It was uh, getting the, the board on board with the fact of the changes and the investment that was going to have to be made. It was keeping the, the regulator up to date with the changes you're going to make. All of those are massively um, big challenges and, and stressful situations. Uh, but actually, out of the back of that, the best team I ever had working for me uh, and the best people, and they've all gone on to, to be really successful in, in other areas on what they do, was that team that I had at that point. And I will be forever grateful for uh, for those people, um, for that. Uh, That's for interesting. The, for so the moments. biggest challenge was well, that is the biggest thing that it was the high, it was the, the the most high stressful bit from that viewpoint. I mean, I, I would say, at the same time, actually, the worst job you could ever give me is a job where the business is actually tickety boo, running along quite smoothly, uh, it's making money, uh, doesn't really need anything. I'd find that really stressful because <laughs> I go, what do I do with this? <laughs> I don't want to sit here just kind of making it, you know, tick along. Um, so actually, I I enjoy um, challenging situations. I could have done without that regulatory one in a way, but you know, but the, the idea of rooms, yeah, 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 but the but the idea of of or the satisfaction of having turned it round and actually got it to a point and 
and, you know, and, and later they, it was it was sold on uh, to to another another business, uh, you know, uh, in, in 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 great shape. So you know that they are moments to be proud of uh, at the end. So that they make a big difference. Um, but yeah, from a I, I just would hate the kind of run of the mill. What we you know just let's run this yeah. business. I couldn't do that. So, wh where do you think that motivation comes from then? So, the the challenge of that business that you mentioned. Yeah. Why do you think you need those challenges? Why does that make you sort of motivated and make makes you who you are? I guess. Yeah, I'd, I've I've never been very good at just plodding along and and just uh, I, I I like a challenge. You know, I, I like. Yeah, uh, I, I, almost to the point where I go, why have I done that? Mm. <laughs> um, it's just in my DNA, I suppose. I, don't, I, I, I can't really answer that one, James, to be honest. It's just part of, we're all kind of different, aren't we? And we all kind of, you know, I, I, I could get bored very quickly. <laughs> so, like, and I, Yeah, I understand that. And I, and I think I've spoken to a number of people where, you know, high-performing people, stressful jobs, etc., and it has come at a sacrifice is there instances in your life that you look back on and think, ah, maybe work was too much of a priority back then, maybe I was too focused, or did you manage to get that balance right between your professional life mm. and your personal life? Um, oh, God, it's like confession time. It is, it? Yeah. <laughs> isn't it? Let's get emotional now, John. Let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not really good at emotion, but anyway. <laughs> um, no, I didn't get it right, I'm afraid. Um I, I look. I I didn't. I didn't get it horribly wrong. I am thirty. I'm on my thirty fifth year of marriage, so I definitely haven't got it wrong. Um, we still talk <laughs> <laughs> on text. We still yeah, we still sit on the settee together. Same settee, <laughs> not the same settee, but the, set, the on this. Yeah, yeah, I can we've imagine. Had new yeah. settees through the years, but yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we've brought up two great kids, all the rest of it. So so I've got a lot of things right. But you know, old farts like me now talk about oh you know it's, you know don't these are the important years with your children and you know they grow up so fast and all the rest of it and i remember getting told this at the time and you go yeah yeah and, you know that, that six month old will never stop crying and i've got this for the rest of my life and i'm never going to sleep again and then suddenly they're 29 and 32 <laughs> you go oops what happened there yeah. uh, so it does it does go very very quick and no at the time where i was the most uh ambitious career-wise was right at the time where you've missed those you go oh yeah maybe i should have been around for there and you know why why was karen really angry with me because i missed that um parents evening or didn't share my load on that bit or you know mm -hmm. didn't didn't make it home on time for for dinner on that but you, you will all do it uh you know mm -hmm. uh, anybody in a in, anybody in a role that's client facing as well is is always going to have that 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 uh, that push pull. I do I do think the new the, the you know the, the current generation of people coming through are you know are more savvy to this uh, and maybe without realizing it that's what the work life balance is really about. It's about learning from from my generations of where we we weren't great as we learned from it our previous generations who were really really bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're all getting better at these things through the years, but we have to learn from people doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah it's progression. But, but the short answer to your question is no, I didn't get it right, mate. No, no. <laughs> I don't think we all do. <laughs> I didn't. Okay. It's a litany of disasters, I have to say. Fortunately, I came from a very forgiving family. And I have a very forgiving wife. But, you know, I, I talk to my son about it and 
I mean, my dad was never around because he was always working mm. and I feel that I was around a lot more for him yeah. going to all of his Christmas plays which I detested anyway because yeah. I just think the production value is so poor <laughs> and it's a story that you've heard a thousand times yeah. and he, he never had a, a starring part either but he, I don't think uh, I like to think I was around for the, the times when they needed me Yeah, and that was the important times and in the future I will be Yeah, but you know I am quite selfish in terms of building a business because it's what motivates yeah. so I, I i do get it okay well just talking about um before we finish your career um are we still on question one no <laughs> it's a multi-layered approach <laughs> by the way isn't this joe rogan when's the whiskey and the cannabis coming out I was just, I was just... in a minute we'll get everyone in <laughs> okay. they'll do it in a second yeah that'd be great though wouldn't it um just on this so who who is who's been your biggest inspiration in your career <laughs> Um, do you know I'd love to give you a great answer for this, and I don't have one. Um, I I can't tell you one person. I just mean that nobody's inspired me. I mean there isn't one individual that, that that's inspired me for 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 everything. And I and I kind of feel a, a little bit like cause I hope I'm giving the game away, but you you shared some of the questions uh, with me, so I got an idea about what you might say. But um, and th this was on there, and I was really trying to rack my brain, uh, and it kind of. It differs, I suppose, depending on what it is we're talking about. So, you know, when I go go back to before I came into the career and was thinking about going off and be, going to ca uh, California, then, you know, I, as a as a kid, all I, all, I, all I did was weight training and things like that and, and some rugby and stuff like that. But, you know, so Arnold Schwarzenegger was, was, was a hero at that point. He was the man. Uh, he was the man. Like, let's not look at the man today, but, you know, <laughs> the man then was quite, quite inspirational when you didn't know what drugs he was taking and things like that but anyway um <laughs> allegedly no, uh, yeah <laughs> no he's admitted he's yeah. admitted it yeah okay um but yeah so so from that but and then you, you go through your career don't you and you 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 have moments in time where you know starting starting as a broker consultant i remember looking at some of the guys who had been doing the job for years and the kind of nice lifestyle that they had at the time of because they were they were established and what they were doing and you you, you know how um how they pitched things in a sale and things like that so that they would inspire you at that moment and then you you move on and then you've got you're working with managing partners of accountancy practices or or uh, or ceos and um they either inspire you because they've done something you think actually yeah that's really good i like the way they've positioned that or the the way they've got me really wanting to work for them or you go how the hell did you get that job or am i mm. making that mistake um, they're all inspirations <laughs> in a very bizarre, different way. Yeah, in an um, opposite way. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, um, yeah, they, they, they would be. So there isn't kind of one, one, one person or, or, or one thing from that viewpoint or a business brain or, or there's not the magic book that I read or, or anything else like that. Like I said, I completely fell into the uh, profession. Are you? more of a pragmatist than you are like an emotional person do you tend to keep things pretty much on a yeah on an even completely keel? stoic yeah <laughs> <laughs> keep nothing away yeah it's not yeah i mean i, I think people have accused me of that before of giving nothing away it's not a it's not a conscious shield uh it, it, to 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 not give anything away it's just um yeah, just it, it's just i'm, I'm quite fortunate in, in a way because it, it keeps me calm keeps me means that i don't get you know, I don't kind of show show stress from that viewpoint. It's a p 
pain for the family again because they never see me cry too much emotion. Right? <laughs> to know whether <laughs> can you remind me every now and then? Do you love me or don't you love me? Kind of, thing, of course, really. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm pr- I'm pretty I'm consciously stoic on, on things because there are things that you can change and there are things that you can't change. So what's the point of worrying about the things I can't change? Like I'm just going to focus on the things that are under my remit to, to be able to do something about. And that's actually quite liberating, I mm-hmm. find. Mm-hmm. Um, but I we're all made of different genetics, aren't we? And so I've had many a conversation with people who are far more emotional, far more kind of wear the heart on the sleeve, far more affected by things. And... Um, you must have worked with some really theatrical yeah, type people yeah, yeah, who yeah. literally lose their temper at any given moment. Yeah, yeah. Let's not name names. I've got to say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was planning that, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and in sometimes they would do it for effect, and you can sell those. Uh, and I get that occasionally. It's quite nice to, you know, even I'll do it occasionally. You know, if I want to, if want to demonstrate to somebody that I'm really not very happy, then you know, there might be a, a, a heightened voice or a a few more swear words than I would normally use or whatever else mm. so you might do it for effect but but others like you say are just emotionally charged that way and yeah, 100%. um 100% it's you know I've I've done some coaching and mentoring for people and uh that's very hard to 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 coach out of them I think you you actually end up coaching more how they deal with it and um yeah uh, you know and how, how they just fit it into their armory but I feel quite fortunate that I don't have that in me because it's 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 a very conscious tick isn't it if you lose your temper very quickly and that you the the other person's completely got the upper hand then because they know exactly what they've done to you and where they've got you yeah i think there's a time to show emotion and to you know if you're not happy and yeah but i've also i've worked with very theatrical people um and i think you just expend a lot of energy Mm. and it's like well what are you doing and i think being part of a leader it is again going back to that vision working through your problems and not yeah. showing too much emotion because it can it can drive a negative effect upon yeah. the team and that then drives down to everybody yeah. else in the business but i do think you need to have that edge yeah would you agree i, I do i do agree um the downside of being um like me is that sometimes that you will get accused of not caring you know whether it's home whether it's work whether it's you know uh, uh, an important situation so it's only over time that people realize that but do you, you process care. that comment when people say uh, i used to used to process it quite a lot and now i know i do care and i'll just prove it by the actions that i'll have taken to 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 fix any situation so or try and prove it can't always fix it but yeah okay um, well let's let's move on to now then so right. we've got a bit of background history and career <coughs> um so today you're at hearst point yes um I'd like to know more about Hearst Point. The first question is, how do we, um, what do we call Hearst Point? Do you like to be called a consolidator and a, quite a growth business? What, what's the best way to describe Hearst Point? Yeah, no, um, I, you know, it, it doesn't shy away from the phrase consolidator. It's yeah. not a dirty word to it. Yeah. Um, so it's a Hearst Point was a vehicle set up uh, in 2019. Uh, it's the brainchild of a, a guy called Ian Gladman. Uh, Ian's uh, come from a, a private banking type background but was also at Quilter during the the time that they were doing their restructures etc so he's 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 been in the the financial services sector for for, for quite a while um he thought as did a lot of other uh, investors at the time uh, thought that there was a, an opportunity to 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 you know grow a wealth management business he um so he set up a business called Hearst Point 
so named, I believe, after uh, the lighthouse that's down near Lymington, I think, and down on, down on there. So that's kind okay. of where the, t- the name comes from. But it, it is just the vehicle. Um, it doesn't trade as such. Um, so it can cause confusion from a viewpoint. Am I Hearst Point? Am I a dentist? Where does Hawks more fit in? But um, So Hearst Point is just the vehicle and uh, with a uh, private equity house behind it is, uh, is currently Carlisle Group. Um, so, um, so, so that's the vehicle for for acquiring. It acquired its first business in twenty twenty, which, if everybody thinks about the timing of all this, is is right in the middle COVID. of uh, COVID. Mm. Yeah, so so it's so quite a challenge to kind of get all this set up. The first business it bought was Harwood Group. Uh, Harwood was a, a listed business, uh, although uh, quite a small listing, and uh, down on the south coast, predominantly uh, IFA business, with a with a few trade names in its stable as well just to create even more confusion about who we are and what we are uh then then they acquired uh hawksmoor not the steakhouse but the investment management firm um but that then basically gave it the two divisions so it gave it the financial planning and the investment management side and we still trade today in those two divisions okay so Hearst point doesn't trade just yeah. just the the name at the top and the two trading entities are argentis and and hawksmoor I am the MD of uh, Argentis side, and Sarah Soar is the uh, MD of the um, investment management side of Hawksmoor. What's it like working for a firm which is ultimately backed by PE? Because you've worked with accountancy firms, you've worked with national advisory businesses. What would you say are the differences working with a PE firm? <laughs> right. This is still my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So come ask me in a few years' time. Um, no, I'll, I'll check it. it, it you, you are right, and I think I intimated at the start. It, you know, I've worked in some very different environments. You know, twenty years in accountancy type of environments, um, American-owned uh, insurance broking consolidator in Gallagher's, um, uh, South African-owned insurers. So not just different types of entities, different countries as well from from that viewpoint. So. So what's it like working for an American PE house? Uh, when I was a financial planner, I used to describe some clients, and I'm sure everybody who who uh, advises on clients will re- this will resonate with, is they had three three main goals. That was they wanted their assets completely guaranteed, they wanted maximum growth and maximum income. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. So impossible yeah. in, in its very nature, yeah? And... PE is a bit like this, is a bit the same, but for for the commercials of a business, it wants maximum revenue, it wants maximum assets, maximum clients. Yeah. Uh, so you might have um, eight optics that you're being measured for, and you know, and they're super bright, and the super bright people there that 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 knows the numbers, knows the 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 numbers behind it all, and uh, you might be right on seven and down on one. Guess so, what the meeting's going to be about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're going to focus on that. <laughs> yeah. So it is. It is, and, and and one of the reasons I wanted to to come into it was because it was the one area I hadn't worked in before, um. So I was intrigued. I also thought I was old enough and wise enough to try <laughs> try try and do it, which I know I've joked with few few people about, um. And it it is different for for that reason. So it's really switched on. It's very very clever people, um. But you know, it's not their job to understand financial planning it's their job to understand how you buy businesses and sell businesses and make money off the back of that and, and how you make sure it's it's on the right trajectory and uh, so they need people like me and, and my teams who understand financial planning to, to run financial planning businesses and um, they are very client focused the clients are their investors 
Um, so well, we kind of learn how to be more client focused from how they are with their clients uh, as well. Okay. So, you know, cause they, so, you know, everything is about the investor and the optic of that, which is quite an interesting dyna dynamic that pr probably people don't think of because they'll say, oh yeah, private equity is not client focused. Well, well it is, mm -hmm. it's very, very client focused, but it's the client, it's the client of the private equity yeah. that their main focus is. But as the management team behind that, we can learn. Yeah. Um, so you've so actually been able to learn from, <coughs> from the PE guys in terms of how they treat Yes, their ultimate absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and and Carlo being very good from a viewpoint of, you know, it's a it's a massive institutional uh, private equity house, so it's got a lot of uh, resource behind it and a lot of areas that that you can really plug into, and it invests in a lot of different businesses that again you can have access to to understanding how they've they've done things. But um, you know, it is what it is. It's a it's it's there for a reason, and it's driven by that reason, and. Uh, and that's 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 what you are going to be working in and, and challenged in as a, as part of that management team, um, yeah, and, and that. So 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 it's it is different from the others. But uh, in all of these, the interesting bit is, um, you know, since not since I worked for a small IFA in the mid nineties, have I worked for a financial or in a financial planning business. That was purely just a financial planning business. So it's always been an accountancy practice, yeah. or an insurer, or a, a consolidator, in a private equity, or, yeah. and so, the commonality between all those is that you're owned by people who don't necessarily understand financial planning. Yeah. So my job at a senior level is to set the expectations and be that, that um, checker of what somebody might be asking you to do at the 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 owner level to what is is that practical is that possible is that something an advisor can do is that acceptable to the regulator is that something that a client's going to benefit from and then throwing it back if it's not mm. and uh, in a way i think that's quite interesting because that's the senior management uh, responsibility piece now that that's that's that at my level is what that's about it, you should never take on an smcr level if you are not happy to challenge back to your 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 owner mm -hmm. uh, that you think there's going to be a wrong decision or whatever, and that can come in any of these businesses. And has consumer duty made that happen more so now in terms of what the outcomes, what the regulator may or may not be looking for? Uh, not so far, no. Um, I wouldn't say so. Um, I, I'm not. I, I'm quite positive about consumer duty, uh, just for the record. Um, not, not, not because I think a regulator might be on, on the call. <laughs> genuinely, yeah. you know, I think I think there's been two pieces of um, legislation, regulation, whatever you want to call it, in my lifetime that have made a material difference positively to financial planning and and the commerciality of of of, of it being sound to be a financial planner. RDR was one. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of firms are still in existence today and firms that have, have, have were, were successful when they were in existence and are probably now swallowed into other firms. Um, they learnt, they, they dealt with RDR pre-RDR and, and made the switches, made the changes to more fee-orientated businesses in that. I think in consumer duty world, people are still on playing catch-up of the opportunity that consumer duty gives to them to, be, to make themselves more commercially viable. Yeah, and uh, so I think that's the only difference. But I think they are the only two 
pieces of legislation that I can point to that that really benefit our profession. Okay. Uh, so I've, I've kind of answered a different yeah, question yeah, to the no. one you asked there, James. Yeah. But go on. That's fine, no. <laughs> I'm going to go back to consolidation because I think it's still in the press. There's yep. lots of um, every week there seems to be uh, a firm that has been sold, acquired, etc. Um, what's the consolidation market like at the moment, probably compared to 2020? Um. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to think of when the th- First, I think I think there's been a, a real march on consolidation with the private equity houses that have come in over the last what four or five years uh, in the main. Um, you know, everybody talks about there's 36, 37, 35, whatever, whatever it is. You know, there are a lot of uh, investors uh, in there thinking that they can actually um, you know make make good money for their for their investors uh, in in wealth management and. A lot of that is predicated on what happened in the American market, um, where the multiples did, you know, grow and, and, and basically it was as simple as you uh, acquire at one rate, make yourself of a certain scale. The scale then gives you the ability to sell at another rate. I know it's not giving away any secrets. Anybody can kind of see that, in, you know, what goes on in the market. Just so to some extent, it didn't. You didn't even have to fix. They, or, or bring it together so you have consolidators and then you have integrators don't you? we are definitely an integrator from that we actually bring the businesses together and make it as one and then you have that kind of um, just people who keep them the same and own them but don't actually do anything with them and just keep them trading separately so as it, um, but but so that's, that's where it was but do you think it's more realistic now because I, I read uh, in the I th- paper about succession this is being, oh, being quoted here we go okay. All right. and if, if Aviva's listening and they want to buy a search firm <laughs> remember I started a commercial union this is my fa- this, this, this <laughs> is the institution that brought me into the business this into is, the industry well when, when, I, when I read the report and after write downs it was something like a multiple of 56 times <laughs> even right. it I mean that's the headline news but right. in, in real terms you know, it, is is it more realistic? Has has the market sort of calmed down a little bit over the right. last sort of 12, 18 months? We're definitely on a pause. Um, we're de- you know the the market is definitely on a pause at this minute in time, driven by interest rates, driven by uh, you know downturn on valuations, profitability of businesses isn't the same as it was two years ago at the moment. Um, access to capital is is, is lower. Uh, across across the, the those businesses, and um, there is a level of digestion going on, of businesses that have been acquired needing to be digested, and the investors saying, uh, "Can you prove to me that what you've bought was a good investment, and why, why did we do that, or why have we invested in that, and and you know, can you get your your EBITDA or whatever their measurements might be um, to to show that positivity before we go again?" So there there is an element of that. There is also an element of um, it's becoming more and more obvious in the UK that the the only way the consolidator will will work is scale. It needs to be big, yeah. And so there is that 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 case of you know it's a bit like the platform conversations in the past, although they've not really sorted themselves out because it seems to be still more and more platforms. But it's a whole different it's a whole different podcast um but you know there, there doesn't need to be 36 and there cannot be financially uh, viable 36 different consolidators because some of them are tiny there are there are regional ifa firms that are bigger than some of the consolidators yeah um so 
they need to, to to grow in scale so so they almost need to kind of cannibalize each other in some ways yeah. which is a terrible phrase but it's gonna happen, though. yeah yeah um so i think that will be a, a a focus and so that but you can see in the market at the moment there's the expectation of a seller is here what the buyer's willing to now pay or look at paying is here if you find a buyer that's still willing to pay the seller's expectation be wary because i don't think that buyer's going to be around for very long <laughs> okay because because either because they're doing it because they're paying a premium because they think they can get out in their next move uh or because they're not very bright at understanding what the valuation should be to make money so on that point what advice would you give to um an advice business which is starting to have those conversations about looking to be sold what because it's um i don't think these acquisitions are easy and there's a lot of emotion as well and yeah. you are dealing with entrepreneurs you know yeah, mainly and, and business owners yeah, yeah. And, I, and i think it's their it's their baby and they've taken the risk so what advice would you give to those people who are just starting that journey of thinking about exit yeah okay this could be a long bit now <laughs> um, so the first the first bit to the owner or the owners is really ask yourself why what, why are you doing it? And, and 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 I don't mean why, as in don't do it. I just mean what is your driver? Is it because you've got people underneath you that want to succeed you and want to kind of go for it, but they can't afford to? So and you you know you need money out. Is it because you've had enough in the industry and you're genuinely getting out? Is it because the pound signs are just showing at you and you just find that irresistible to do it and you believe that you could have take your money off the table and then continue in the business thereafter and everything will be great? You know, what is the true reason for why you're doing it? Yeah. Don't try and do it without having a, uh, a proper corporate, uh, well, corporate financier, corporate advisor, whatever you want to call them behind you uh to to really give you some good guidance on on what um on that why and what's going to drive the best uh the best type of buyer for you because uh, it isn't all just about the money i would say that nine times out of ten if you go into a, a getting a whole list of people who will offer you a, a rate for your for your for your business the one that offers you the most wouldn't be the one that would have given you the most at the end of the process. Mm, okay. Always be wary of the highest deal um, because they tend to chip you at a, at a, at a later point. Um, and, but we're back to that word that we said at the point of what does it really mean and what is it? It's the cultural piece. You know, I would say that the deals we've been doing in... Um, in in Hurst Point, Argentis and Hawksmoor, none of those deals are quick. They all, you know, can take twelve months, uh, which always kind of amazes um, sellers. You know, mm. oh, no, no, surely you know, if you've agreed a price, that'll be it, kind of thing. And a lot of the proportion of what's going on in that twelve months is cultural. Is this a business that we're buying that the people in it, the clients in it, are going to be happy? Uh, in the main in a, a national business um, and, and that is completely different whatever anybody tells you it's different than just being your business in your office or your couple of offices or whatever you've got um, 
so it is I kind of joke with people but it's not really a joke when I when I say you have to be conscious you are selling yourself to the devil when you when you come to wow. me, you, it's, a it's just that I'm a nicer devil than the others <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not a theatrical other. devil are you? Yeah. yeah so it's it's uh but there is a level of it's not that I'm trying to be devilish and I'm going to ruin your world. It's just the fact it, that change is dramatic. It, and if you're just being chased by the pound signs of it, you will bluff your... I have seen it so many times. I've seen people have sat on the other side of the table, maybe not with a mic in front of me, but a table like this. And I can see it in the face that they just want this deal to happen because they, they the money is driving it. Mm. And they they bluff their way into thinking that they could work in that environment. And you mentioned the word about advisors, you know, particularly people who own their own businesses. They're entrepreneurs. Nothing will kill an entrepreneur like a like a national business. Mm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. I, the reason I, I raise this is because every time I see a, a business which is acquired, there's always a statement about we chose this firm because of the cultural fit. Mm. And I always think, how genuine is that statement? Because, you know, as you go, you know, you're asking about the why, aren't you? And I understand the cultural piece, but it's almost, if my IFA sold, I would say, well, you sell to whatever business you think is right for you because you're the one who's taken the risk, you've invested your money, probably remortgaged your house, you've done everything and sacrificed all of those good times mm -hmm. with your partner, your children, etc. I have no issue in that advisor maximizing the deal for him. Yeah. But it's almost, it seems that every article I read, it's all about the client. It's almost, are we becoming subservient to the client? The client is everything. Because if a client was to sell their business, they wouldn't be thinking about their advisor. Does that make sense? It it, it, it does make sense. Um, it's it, it's a bizarre. It's kind of caught me on the hop because the client is everything. Because the client is the asset. <laughs> um, but I get your point. Yeah. Um, but, but you know the but buyer. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. No, but the buyer, or, or, well, a shrewd, not not even a shrewd buyer, a sensible buyer. You know, when we're doing our due diligence and we're doing that 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 cultural piece, when we're looking at things and we're looking at the demographics of the clients, we're looking at the client type type the service that they're being given we are thinking is that client going to be happy in the service that we give uh, or our proposition and that's where if you put down we've looked at the cultural fit and that would make some sense yeah mm. but if you're just saying it and i and i agree with you that i have seen it in some papers where you just go that's not really that a cultural real? yeah. fit it's yeah. just that's just the but right, i do think there the are right lots of genuine advisors who do want the best for their clients absolutely but it's almost like it's, it's almost it's the same article yeah it's always about yeah. that cultural fit I, and and on that point i would i definitely see more advisors who are selling that really do care about their clients than i don't and that's my point is most of those would are distraught if they think their clients are not getting the service that they would have given them before and there's nothing they could they could be still in the organization but there's nothing they can do to try and change that and they are distraught they're stressed they, they hate it and they end up being absolutely um yeah 
the worst worst case scenario you know they can't hold the head up high in the golf course is the old phrase that people use once you've sold out isn't it because like it's a personal relationship yeah, it's a personal and it's their most important yeah. you know money's the most important yeah. thing to a lot of people so, in terms of their and so that's that's why you do have to be careful that you you really do i suppose it's the reverse due diligence have you really got under the bonnet of the person or the, the business that's buying you and understand what that client service is how your advisors mm. that you've brought into the industry or trained up or or thing are they really going to be happy and if they're not happy then they're going to end up going elsewhere or trying to go elsewhere i think it shows how the industry's changed now over 20 years yeah. which i think is a positive but if i was to put you now into a time machine john looking into the future talked about consolidation in the next five years what do you think the advisor landscape looks like okay um all right so put this put this podcast into a time capsule see, see where i was right or where i was wrong um i think i think the consolidation market will continue to consolidate in that it will continue to consolidate with itself so there will be a a, a good 10 or so large national ifa well whether they're ifa advisor firms yeah? uh, and and I think they will, you know, so at the moment you've only really got what St. James's Place, True Potential, mm. uh, Evelyn Partners maybe, uh, of, of, a, of a real scale of, of advisor-led uh, scale. And you've got all the big wealth managers, but they tend to be investment managers first and then have smaller um, IFA bits. So I think they'll become another six or seven really household or, or you know, as, as much as our uh, sector has household names to, to become sector sector names uh, and those that want to sell out in that time will continue to sell out i think the really interesting space is um the the space of the the new type of advisor that will come out um and this everything comes around in cycles the, the longer you're around the more you realize mm -hmm. you know Markets go up and down over cycles. New ideas are the old ideas of seven or eight years ago with a different name tag on them or whatever else. And I think it's just that time that um, the, the, there is still a need for individuality within the financial planning uh, advice that's given to clients. You can, you can nationalize it to some extent and that will deal with a core type of client and core, core type of client need. But there is still a need and a drive for new types of uh, way of giving the advice and the relationship you have with the clients. And the more businesses that get swallowed into the type of business that, that I run, mm. then that, that leaves a gap for, for those kind of clients and, and the advisors that, and planners that like to give that type of advice. And I think that is a growing market. I think it's really difficult to know how it's gonna happen those that are really brave will go for it in an entrepreneurial spirit and you can see people you know you read the press every week at the moment and there's a couple of guys setting up together like-minded spirits and, you, just look again, at it yeah. and you go fantastic you know go for it lads I, I wish you all the best and and if i can help in any way just from a kind of a being there as a as an industry um you know somebody who's been around the block or whatever and, and help then then great you know just give us a shout you know, no no charge um but they are they need to be different so they can't go and get private equity because that's going to give them the wrong kind of model um so there needs to be new ways of 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 of, of homing those 
and it's you know it's interesting so the yeah they you know the accountancy practices will used to be a fantastic way of getting into financial planning and owning your clients and, and running that bit and of course they you see them coming back because there's one or two that are still around who are this doing very well they're doing very well and they've been in it a long time and i know who you're talking about <laughs> but um yeah um but yeah i I'd, I'd love them to um they 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 got frightened off by the regulatory part of it no doubt uh, particularly as a as a limited partnership type, or a limited partnership should should help them to do that I, I i remain convinced that that is the the a great place to have your advice and, and to be given advice and to to be a financial planner you know, as I said before, I think it's a, a great way to do it. Um, but I do think uh, that there needs to be more smaller IFA firms with like-minded people coming together in a financial community and, and being given that opportunity to, to grow, not looking to sell, uh, looking for a long-term uh, business. And, you know, that... You can see it, funny enough, again, you always will look at the States. You can see it in the States at the moment. You can see the, the kind of new, you know, we, we've had next-gen type type things, which isn't that, but it's something different. I mean, you can see in the States something called breakaway advice and things like that. And I, I think that's a really interesting space to watch. Well, I, I think it gives consumer choice as well. Yeah. Which is the great yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which might seem a really weird thing. Why am I talking about that? Because I, cause I do put myself as a as a planner first and 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 part of the 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 profession from that viewpoint want the profession to have all its bits i know i know that's not what i'm running day to day at at this minute in time and what what i'm running i'll make the best that i can and be that model for the for the uh the 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 general advisor but uh, for the general advisor and the general client but i do think that there's some clients who, who want something different that we can't really provide that these type of businesses if they're brave enough could I think that's a really exciting space. Yeah, and I, More exciting than tech or artificial intelligence or all the things that are all really, I know, <laughs> I know, which are all really important and will drive maybe some of these things. But they're always the things that we always talk about. And it's not that. It's actually the proposition behind uh, some of these people getting together, these advisors, these planners getting together and going, right, okay, how do we actually disturb the market and make it something different? that actually a client can get behind and really feel part of, really feel the value of what they're given. And don't just play with it. You know, don't have a little bit of a fixed fee and then still have a, 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 a valor, ad valorum fee behind it where you pretend to do the investment advice when you're not doing the investment advice because somebody else is doing it mm. just to justify your fees. Go for it. Go for it. If you want to go for it, go for it and have the planning and do it as a fee. Um and, and be brave and, and really stand out as a client from that viewpoint. Uh, sorry, as an advisor from that point. Good advice. Well, let's see what happens. Let's shall see we? what happens. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna, if we're going to time this <laughs> in a few years. Um, so I'm conscious that we've we've come to the top of the hour anyway on this podcast, and it's been great to talk to you, John. The, the, the question I'm going to ask you, so final question, <laughs> um, and you don't know this, this is the old recruitment question that I've oh, asked many, many, many times before. It's going so, to have to be a seven-figure number. <laughs> Sorry, oh, you didn't want me to Oh, okay. Stop talking about the things anyway. Uh, so what question would you, have you like to have been asked today but haven't? Um, um, the, the one that you had as the final question in the... <laughs> not because, this unscripted podcast. But, right, yes. Yeah. So I did confess yeah. that you did, you did yes, send you did. me some, yeah. some things. And, and only because I think the question was... Um, what advice would you give to yourself 
Yes. At the start, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the start of your career, wasn't it? I think you can take that like one. That. You can take that one. And the only reason I'm taking it is, <laughs> is because I looked at this question. And I went, "Oh, I don't know. I was never great at taking advice when <laughs> I was young, anyway." So, and then I realised I've been married for 35 years, so I've got out of giving myself advice. So I've got somebody else who gives me the advice. <laughs> so, so I asked Karen. I said, "How should I answer this question?" And she said, "Patience." You need to have more patience. Be patient. Always be patient. Always take your time. Never make rush decisions. Wow. And she said it within a nano of a second. Wow. So, so I thought... Was that a shock to you? It was, rather. Yeah. yeah um, but I thought, oh, yeah, she's right. And I've been thinking about it, uh, you know, on the car journey up here this morning and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I thought, I thought you know, uh, that was... so. That more was, patience then. Yeah. So, and I know what she was getting at. It, it's... Um, I was always in a hurry, you know, going back to your point, you know, did I spend enough time with the family and things like that. Mm-hmm. The other the other kind of self kind of <laughs> flatulation thing about me is I was always too much in a hurry to get to the next bit, that's next stage. What am I doing next? What or what's the next stage of the of the career? You know, made partner, what what right, okay, I've made partner, what do I do now? Um, you know, all all of those kind of things. Can you, can you see yourself retiring ever? Oh God. I was gonna say, what what would you do? <sighs> See, I don't think Karen will ever listen to this, but I think I've been saying. That. I'll send it to her. <laughs> um, I, I, retiring, yes, as in not working a five day a week or six day, whatever, you know, uh, full time uh, role. Never not doing stuff uh, in the, in the profession or, or playing a part. No, I can't. And I, and interesting, it, it wasn't really. And inspiring. You asked me a question: Who's inspired me? It's a slightly different point, but um, there were there have always been people in in my career in my times who have inspired and helped people of my generation. And I suppose I'm realizing it's kind of my time to and my and the people around me to to give back. So. People like um, no longer with us, uh, and I didn't know him very well, unfortunately. I, w- I wish I had known him a lot better. But people like Paul Bradshaw, who who helped on help Dave Ferguson on, on Nucleus and various other things, as Peter Mann. And there's, there's a whole kind of mm. realm of about you know, and I, I, I feel guilty that I'm not. I should kind of reel off about six or seven different names. But they they were people who, whether people knew it or not, um, somebody who who was chair. Um, at Sandlam, uh, Angus Samuels, people, people like that. that that's a PY. Um, they, Punta Southall, sorry. They um, really spent time with people who had ideas and wanted to do something different. You know, not only did they spend time, they actually invested in their both time and money sometimes to to to, to help people out like that. And I think we need at my my generation if a different bit of my stages we need to be kind of doing that back to to this generation um and saying right okay what do you need what you know what support do you need how can we help um and i think and so answering your question i could get really excited about that in the future of of, of trying to do that, that kind of thing great time so yeah no karen no unfortunately i won't be at home every day every day and she'd probably be secretly very happy about that covid was great for that wasn't it for everybody yeah uh, six months at home and you go yeah time for you get back yeah. at work job i, I learned quite quickly <laughs> not to be at home all right i think that's a really good way to end the uh podcast john it's been a, a delight and a pleasure to talk to you today thank you uh, so thanks thank for you the therapy much. that's all right it's free of charge <laughs> john white thank you very much cheers